0: start of the regular season is just a few days away, and of course that means it's also going to be the start of the fantasy baseball season. Uh, welcome to the Stew Pod. I'm Chris Swick, and on our special, I don't know what we're going to call this, our special StewPod Fantasy Extra, we have the great Scott Pianowski of Yahoo Sports. You know him from there. Scott, how are you?
1: I'm excited, Chris. I can't wait for the baseball season. I'm excited for the weather to be warming up as somebody who lives in a, in a cold-weather city 20 minutes outside of Detroit. Things are melting. You can walk out in a T-shirt, maybe a light coat. So let's bring on the baseball, man. I, I cannot wait for this season.
0: Yeah, I'm excited, too. Uh, I already had a few of my drafts, but I know that people might be drafting uh, maybe this weekend, you know, if, if you're pushing off until the last second to make sure you don't take any injured guys. Um, I know you probably get this question a lot, but how many leagues are you actually in this year?
1: (laughs) (laughs) That's a a great question because I never know the answer. It's somewhere, uh, I think Yahoo lets you be in eight and I'm going to max that out. And then there's a couple industry leagues I'm in that unfortunately are not run on Yahoo, uh, even though they should be. Uh, So I'll probably be around 11 or 12. Although the funny thing is I may just kick kick up another league that I run uh, this weekend or maybe even into the season when you can still draft. I might just do another one just for fun. Just that one last chance to get all the players who I like, who I keep missing. So it's going to be somewhere between 10 and 12, I guess.
0: I think the, the most I've done is four, and uh, I cut that down to two this year, and I'm very happy with myself because it just gets crazy. Um, That's
1: a ter- terrible example for our listeners. They well, should be going from four to eight, not from four to two. Don't do you know, don't be like Chris. You know
0: what? The two leagues I cut were non-Yahoo leagues, so okay, that, okay. we'll go with that. Uh, there you go. So, all right, you clearly have had your practice, and uh, you know. on top of that, this is your job. So, uh, I guess the first question would just be general strategies for redraft leagues. And I know every league's different, and it might not apply to, to everyone listening, but um, do you have any general strategies you're following? Are there templates, or are you just kind of constantly adjusting based on the different drafts you've been in?
1: Well, as far as adjusting, somebody will inevitably say this to me on almost every piece that I write or everything I say about Twitter. People will say, well, in my specific league with this rule and that rule and this behavior and that behavior. And yes, everything is contextual. Everything is about your league rules, your league habits, your league owners and all that. So anything we ever talk about on this pod, fantasy wise or on the blog, on Twitter, it's all contextual. You all have to season it to taste and your mileage will vary and all that. That said, what do I think is different about this season than maybe other seasons? I was talking a little bit with Brandon Funson about that on the um, fantasy podcast we did earlier today. I think this is a good year to let somebody else have the vanity catchers and maybe shop in the second or third tier. I'm not going to have Posey. I, I think going after Gary Sanchez after that crazy home run to fly ball rate which completely obliterated anything he did in the minors. I'm not going to pay that price. I think Kyle Schwarber's been overdrafted. They don't really have a natural fit for him position-wise. I'm not sure he can hit left-handed pitching. So catcher is one of my lower priorities. Standard Yahoo Yahoo format, you're only filling one catcher anyway. And that's also how I'm approaching the closer market. I, Chapman's great, and Kenley Jansen is great. But I see some closers, like Ken Giles, like Kelvin Herrera, who I still think can be 30 to 40 save guys with very good ratios, who are going to go 50, 60, 70 picks later, 80 picks later than those top-ranked guys. So my general approach to a draft, stri- if I were drafting tonight in a typical mixed league of 12 teams or 14 teams or something like that, of my first five picks, I'd probably focus on maybe three or four hitters. I'd, I'd want to get more offense and pitching. I'd like to have one stud anchor, whether it's as kershaw in the first round or it's maybe max scherzer who could be a second round pick it could be Syndergaard in the second round somebody like that or maybe you you drop down a level maybe it's you darvish in the fourth or fifth round something like that my first five picks are probably going to be mostly offensive guys throw in one ace and when in doubt Infield to outfield, I feel there's more depth in the outfield this year than the infield. So if I were breaking a tie, this is not the primary way I would rank players. But if I had two guys who were very similar, I would probably lean towards taking the infielder. And the sneaky thing about infield this year, and I've never felt this way before – I feel that first base is actually the weakest of the four infield position categories uh, uh, for, for infield positions. Usually it's a position with a very good depth because teams, you know, put a slugger there. And sometimes the DH will have first base eligibility and that type of thing. Obviously, Ortiz is out of the league now, which is just a small part of that. I feel like I can get a good shortstop or a good second baseman at any price point. I mean, certainly you can look all the star shortstops of baseball. It's a great time for them. But even the second, third tier shortstops I like, even the $1 and $2 players or the late round picks at shortstop and second base I think are pretty good. I think third base is deep at a variety of tiers. For whatever reason, first base, I see a really good first tier. I see an acceptable second tier. I see a kind of so-so third tier. And then you're looking at guys like, you know, maybe Greg Bird will, will make a splash in New York. I mean, nobody wants Joe Maurer on a mixed league team anymore. I don't think Ryan Zimmerman can be trusted for his health. So basically catcher, I'm back, back burner for me, closer back burner for me. I'm going to take an ace pitcher, but probably not too with my early picks. And I would like to focus on infield and make sure maybe I get a really good first baseman. That's generally what I've been doing. The, the caveat is any strategy can work if you pick the right players. And for all the things I may be doing, there's somebody who's doing something totally different. And those things can work too. This is just how I've been approaching my drafts thus far.
0: Well, so you kind of hinted at it maybe with the uh, with your catcher strategy, but – Um, What are your feelings on position scarcity? I mean, are you willing to reach for certain guys at spots early, or are you more of a best player available, especially in the early rounds type of drafter? Yeah, I'm more of a best
1: player available. Remember the standard Yahoo format, I think I mentioned this earlier, it only has one catcher, and what you're going to see in a lot of leagues is the team that takes Posey or the team that takes Sanchez or the team that takes Jonathan Lucroy will not care about catchers, even though those guys actually all qualify at other positions, but you see the guy who takes Posey is going to say, okay, I'm set a catcher. And not only will he not care necessarily to take a value pick, he might see a catcher later, but when free agent options come about, when a catcher breaks out, he he may not be focused on that because he's trying to get saved. He's trying to get stolen bases. And let me also say a word about stolen bases. We saw last year, a lot more power on the board, a lot less stolen bases. To me, that means you need less stolen bases to compete I'm not taking Billy Hamilton unless the price just became prohibitively cheap. I'm not taking him. I'm not taking D Gordon. You can find speed anywhere in your draft. You can find it on the waiver wire. I mean, maybe Delano DeShields breaks camp with the Rangers and finds a semi regular uh, job. I know spring training isn't supposed to matter, but he's 12 for 12 and stolen bases. He walked 14 times. I can see him maybe stealing 40 bases. There's going to be cheap speed somewhere. Maybe it's Raul Mondesi jr. Who steps up. Maybe Malik Smith, comes into playing time in Tampa Bay. If there's one category of all the other ones, I'd say don't worry about it. I mean, you'll get you'll get some good players you happen to run anyway. If you draft Monkey Betts, you'll be happy with his 30 stolen bases. If you draft Mike Trout, you may get anywhere from 20 to 40, I guess. So you're going to get some steals accidentally because some guys just do it anyway. I would not make stolen bases any kind of a priority.
0: Well, so the, the thing with Hamilton that you mentioned, I think, is something that probably every owner goes through when they're putting together rankings, there's always a couple guys that uh, you rank and then you're just like, ah, I don't know if I really want this guy. So are there certain players who I guess you'll just take off your draft board or does it get to a point where everyone has a price? If, if Hamilton falls, you know, X amount of rounds, you're going to go on him, even though you'll probably hate yourself for doing it.
1: I would say that just about everybody has a price. But there are some players that you know are popular enough that it's unlikely you'll ever right. see your price. A guy like that for me is Giancarlo Stanton, who, look, when the guy connects, he, he can hit the you know, the most awesome home run you've ever seen. I mean, that home run he hit in the, in the World Baseball Classic at San Diego was – it's instantly on Twitter. It's instantly gift or jift, if you will. And, uh, I mean, it's great, it's great visual, you know. And I, and I would love to see what Giancarlo Stanton could do in a full season if he were healthy – Fortunately, he's just one of those guys who doesn't seem to play a lot of full seasons. He stopped running completely. I know that's not why we're purchasing him, but you're probably getting just about nothing in his stolen base category there. He could be a little bit of an average risk. He has trouble staying on the field. His current Yahoo ADP is in the top 40. I'm not going to own him. It's interesting that George Springer is right next to Stanton on on the ADP list, and he's a guy – his career batting average is around 260. He's probably going to hurt you in that – in that category and he's admitted he was nine for 19 on stolen bases last year he just kind of threw up, threw up his shoulders just spring and said you know i don't, I don't think i'm gonna run much yeah. he's admitted it now when players say they're gonna do something great i tend to take that with skepticism because everybody's an optimist when a player tells you he's not going to do something <laughs> i don't know that that makes me think that the nine even the nine stolen bases he got last year maybe something of a fool's errand to go after i mean he's got power He's going to hit the top of a good Houston lineup. It's not like he's a bad player, but I think he's a rounder two overdrafted. And a player I actually tweeted about right before we came on the show, Steven Strasburg's just a guy, I think somebody in every league imagines this is the year for Strasburg, yeah. and there's something visceral with him. Because if you see him on the right day, I still remember his debut. I think he struck out 12 guys. I mean, when he has his stuff, the guy can be unhittable. But he has missed, if you compare his ERA with his, his um, FIP, his Fielding in Independent Pishing ERA, he's had a worse ERA than his FIP every season in the majors. Now, the ERA is still pretty good most of the time. He's usually in the mid to low threes, and that's usable. His ratio is probably going to be around 110 or 111. That's good. But I think Steven Strasburg is still priced like he's a top-tier ace. He's only gone past 183 innings in one season. So I think you have to account for a DL spot. And usually before the DL spot is a game where he goes out and, get, and gets handed you know, five or six runs. And you find out, oh, yeah, my elbow hurts, my shoulder hurts, my groin hurts, whatever it is. Steven Strasburg is somebody who I haven't even been tempted to draft this spring. Because I think somebody is always willing to imagine this could be the year where he hits his high range of outcomes. And I feel like he's been so disappointing so many years in a row. I, I'm just not going to make that
0: bet. Well, You've already mentioned Twitter. And obviously... You know, it's, it's been such a big source of information and the fantasy industry just in general is, has exploded. And it, it seems like, you know, they're, they're really, there are no sleepers anymore almost because suddenly a guy gets buzz in like January and then mm-hmm. by March when you're drafting, he has gone from a 12th round pick to a 5th round pick. Do you feel like, you know, with all the information out there, can you really find sleepers anymore or is it just there's nothing you can do about it?
1: It's it, it certainly changed. I mean, when I first started playing fantasy, uh, I guess my first fantasy baseball season was 1988. And back then, if you read the USA Today, the, the spring training notes that I don't even know if they have anymore, but uh, that was would give you an advantage. Or if you read the maybe the Boston, the Peter Gammons, Boston Globe Sunday column, or if you lived in a town where they had really good baseball coverage and, and you'd get a a lot of times that was a composite of a lot of AP stories, that would be an advantage. There's that advantage is gone. Now there are too many sites that generate consistent information, free information. People know much more. It's just even the person in your league who's trying the least. And and baseball, of course, is a a much bigger commitment than than fantasy football, say, where, you know, maybe one or two days a week you have to pay attention. If you're in a fantasy baseball league that has daily transactions, it's a lot of work if you really care and you want to compete. But a lot of the work's done for you because there's sites that are compiling it. There's Twitter accounts that are aggregating it. So to me, I think if it's more of a value player of, of somebody who I think we, – we have we have a different marketplace now. And it's not just going to be that you know who the starters are for all the different teams or you know who the closers are for all the different teams. That would have gotten you ahead of the curve 20 years ago or, or you know, 15 years ago. Now – It's a matter of – I think a lot of it is knowing your rules. A lot of it is knowing the habit. If you're lucky enough to be in a league that has the same owners, most of the same owners year in, year out, get a sense of how they do things, what their habits are, where you think the inefficiencies in the market are. Because that's what baseball teams are trying to do, right? I mean these teams are billion-dollar enterprises but you know 15 years ago Oakland decided hey OBP is undervalued in our market we we can make inroads if we value that more than other teams do there's always going to be something in your league that isn't properly calibrated or is it properly priced and it's your goal to try to figure out what that is so i don't i don't think you, there are the obvious shortcuts where you know if we're having this podcast in 1999 for one thing people would be like what's a podcast yeah. you know i'm not, half, half our listeners wouldn't even be on the internet yet but you, the the path to being the, the smartest owner in your league, or at least ahead of the curve, was so much easier back then. Now it's the advantages are more on the margins, and I, I almost think that the sc- it's not even about the scouting edge anymore. Now I think it's about how can you leverage the marketplace. What do you think people overpay for? What do you think they underpay for? What do you think you can get easily on the waiver wire? I, get, I always get questions on saves and closers, and that's a very I, I, everything's contextual to begin with. But I feel like the closer markets from league to league really vary. Where in some leagues, all the good setup guys will be owned. In other leagues, you could wait till somebody's minted and actually get the save or two before you have to pick them up. It it may depend on your free agent rules and all that type of stuff. But it's really about knowing what is your market, how do they behave, and what do I think they might be undervaluing?
0: Well, I know, you know, I I come from. I guess you could say a stat background in, in that I I first started writing at Fangraphs. So I know you follow uh, you know all the new stats and mm-hmm. you, I mean you 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 already cited FIP, so we know you're you're into that stuff. And I feel like when when I'm looking for breakouts these days, um, it's more it, it goes it's like counterintuitive to everything I learned because now I'm looking for like small samples almost where a pitcher started using a new pitch or something like mm-hmm. that and saying, hey, maybe this is legitimate. The stats aren't there just yet, but if this carries over, then he becomes a breakout. And even then, you know, people are writing all about it, so it's really hard to keep these guys a secret. But I guess my my question is more, you know, pitching compared to hitting. I think what we're seeing a lot now is for, for pitching breakouts, you have all this pitch FX data, and you can kind of see when a guy makes a change and what that's done. Uh, but for hitters, it's it's mostly, you know, swing changes. It's stuff that, that maybe hasn't been measured by the stats yet. And so do, do you feel like it's easier to to buy a pitcher breakout uh, as opposed to a hitter breakout because of that?
1: Pitchers are fascinating, for one thing, because they get hurt so much. They change their repertoire so much. We, we see sometimes guys are mediocre starters. They go in the bullpen and they're lights out. I think back last year. One of my favorite pickups in the middle of the year was Matt Shoemaker, where he had a couple of starts and he had. And this is one thing you talk. You think about like Bill James's theory of signature significance, which is that something can happen in a small sample, but if there's enough magnitude behind it, and I'm sure James said this a lot more elegantly than I am <laughs> now, but the idea is that there's some small sample performances that can be so overwhelming that they to some degree negate the fact that it's a small sample like if somebody went out and and struck out say 13 guys in one start struck out 12 start 12 guys in the next start i wouldn't care if his era was over five or i wouldn't care that he pitched horribly a month prior i would think okay this the signature significance applies here let's try to figure out if there's, I, and this is, again, not an exact science. And sometimes you're going to chase false positives. I, I thought last year at the early in the season that Colby Rasmus maybe had turned a corner because his plate dis- discipline stats were terrific. And he was crushing the ball. And it, it turns out he was, like, absolutely awful after April. And it just turned out to be just one of those things that didn't really mean anything. Just kind of like a pattern in the clouds. Back to Shoemaker. He really took off last year in the middle of the season. We started using his splitter as a a put away pitch and he started getting more confidence in that. And, and you could see that's why he was getting a lot of strikeouts that he had refined that pitch and was starting to utilize it a little bit different. And so we're always looking, you you can't always know that you're right, but when you see somebody change their pitches, maybe they're working with a different catcher, a different pitching coach, a league change, park change, whatever it is. Um, and, and sometimes it can be things we don't know about. I mean, you find out after the season that somebody changed their diet or, or somebody had a personal thing in their life got straightened out. Or, or sometimes we don't have any kind of attribution at all. But with the pitchers, yes, I, let's look for different pitches, let's look for something that we can isolate. And the problem is on the other side is when a good pitcher starts to go bad, you always wonder that something's wrong with them. And teams don't have any great incentive to tell us the truth. A lot of times you'll hear at the end of a season, yeah, my elbow's been hurting since May or, you know, my shoulder went bad in the middle of the season. I tried to pitch through it. So a lot of times the subtle signs of an injury could be, is his repertoire changing in an odd way, a curious way. And, And there's no perfect rule for this type of stuff, but at least, you know, with fan graphs, as you cited, what, what a tremendous sight they are with all the stats that they're tracking. And, and, and this stuff, as, as you know, Chris, I mean, it's, it's getting more sophisticated by the day. Absolutely. I mean, you know, batting average on balls in play was like an earth moving thing yeah. 15 years ago. And even now we're learning that there are some holes in that. And, and so we, we also know that you know, players will at some point they have enough of a history that we can say this guy has a high batting average of balls in play. He's earned it. And this this pitcher may be really good at you know, for whatever reason, stranding runners. You know, I talked about Strasburg earlier, missing his FIP year after year. One guy who constantly beats his FIP is Johnny Cueto, and I think at some point we have to price that into who Cueto is. Whether it's he pitches better from the stretch than some people, or or maybe his location is a little bit better. Maybe there's something that's measured in his ERA that isn't measured in his component stats. You know, you look at some guys, Marco Estrada in Toronto, really good. At getting soft contact, really good at getting pop-ups. He's a guy who FIP always says. He's really not that good, but maybe Marco is doing something that we're not measuring accurately yet. At some point, maybe we have to buy into guys like that.
0: Yeah, I, I absolutely agree, and I, I find that fascinating. Like you said with, with the batting out, jump balls, and play thing, I, mean, I remember when 300 was just, that's what every player is supposed to do, and now, that's, that's not the case. Some guys are 330 BABIP guys, and that's that's just kind of how the stats evolved. So I, I, I'm with you. I think you know things are always changing and evolving, and sometimes it's hard to stay on top of it or, or know exactly what to trust. but I, I don't I, yeah, I don't know. It's, just, it, it's kind of been a crazy ride, I guess, as far as that goes. I, I think the new stats are definitely worth paying attention to. Um, but, but I guess I would caution people not to go overboard with, with some of them. You know,
1: one thing that one thing that I've started to incorporate in the last few years and it and it sounds maybe overly simplistic, but I've started to treat I've heard people a lot of times say that health is a skill. And and it's a little bit of a tricky thing because if we were talking two years ago, I would tell you how reliable and how healthy Honey Hunter Pence was year right. after year and yeah. he's been, you know, really hurt the last couple of years. And and It's a fine line between is a player accident prone or injury prone? You know, is a player, you know, some players get hit by a lot of pitches. It never seems to affect them. Other guys get hit by a lot of pitches and they spend time on the DL every year. And, and so I'm, I'm not sure if I know anything definitive about how to view guys who get hit by pitches. Some guys go up with a ton of body armor. Other guys don't wear that type of stuff. But one thing that, and, and I, again, every league is different. I feel like in public leagues, players who are hurt into the season. Think about J.D. Martinez, Jason Kipnis. I think those types of players aren't discounted enough. Now, I was just in the Tut Wars auctions this past weekend, where in a couple of the leagues, those guys actually went really cheap, and it made me think that maybe I should have considered them stronger. But I think in most examples, this is more of a football theory, because you, football injuries are really, really a big problem, right. where in baseball it's a longer season. And a lot of times the, when guys come back, it doesn't take them that long to get back in the swing of things. But... If I had to air it again, it's all contextual. I get it. There are going to be leagues where certain behaviors will dictate different strategies. But if you were in a general public league tonight and you were to say to me, do I want J.D. Martinez or do I want Jason Kipnis? I would say, unless the price is so glaringly cheap that you're just giddy to get them, I would just let them go. You're going to run into injuries anyway. Players on your team are going to get hurt. I try to draft. I mean, you'll have some veterans on your team, but I tried to draft a younger team, a team with the age pocket. And that's another thing. We used to think age twenty-seven was the magic number. Maybe it's twenty-five or twenty-six. You know, health is constantly changing with players' sleeping patterns, diet, all that types of types of stuff is changing. You know, maybe we have to recalibrate what age pockets we want. But I know this: I'll bet on a twenty-five or twenty-six-year-old staying healthier than a thirty-three or thirty-four-year-old. Yeah. I mean, there's just too much data that defends that. So. I'm going to try, I'm not going to be crazy about it. Again, this is kind of in the tiebreaker category, but I'm going to try to draft a younger team if I can, and I'm certainly not going to draft into injuries unless I feel like the room is really giving me a discount to do so.
0: Okay, so let's get into some specifics here then. Which players do you find you're ending up with the most, and which guys do you just seem to be uh, passing over like crazy in, in your drafts? You know, Daniel Murphy's a guy who had a breakout year last year, but I think there were the
1: precursors of that breakout his last year with the Mets, including the postseason. He qualifies at first base and second base in Yahoo leagues. I think Washington is going to score a ton of runs. I'm not sure they're going to play Adam Eaton necessarily in the lineup where I want him because I I think he'd be a first, a great first or second place hitter. But it looks like Dusty Baker likes him later in the lineup. But I think that this is an offense we want to invest in. And I I think Murphy is that when a guy has a breakout year, it usually goes one of two ways the next season, whether it's, it's like when Bryce Harper had his MVP season, everybody's like, okay, this is Bryce Harper. He's a first round pick. Take him first. Take him second. But when a player like maybe a Murphy has a breakout year, sometimes there's a little bit of skepticism where people don't want to fully buy in. He's going outside the top 40 in Yahoo Leagues. I think that's a great value. Uh, another player who qualifies at, at three positions, first base, second base, and third base is Matt Carpenter. We saw him change his approach. We, we talk about trying to figure out what's real and and where is a player's skill set evolving to. Matt Carpenter traded some of his average and some of his contact for power a couple of years ago. And it continued last year. He really had a bad second half when he was hurt, but I don't, don't think that's anywhere indicative to what the type of player he is. He's going to bat third this year in a very good Cardinals lineup. I love three line, three uh, positions of eligibility. I, I think he can easily hit 25 or 30 home runs with a decent average super in OBP leagues too, because he's going to walk a ton. I have a, a ton of, of Matt Carpenter shares and, you know, pitching, I, I always feel that there's more divergence in pitching opinion than there is on hitting opinion. So I'm more likely to get targets of guys. And one of those players is, is Kenta Maeda. I think it's pretty common with Japanese pitchers that sometimes they struggle in the second half of their first season because there's a culture change. And because remember the workload is different in Japan. Mm-hmm. Teams have six, six man rotations. I think May got tired the second half. That's why ZRA pushed over four. He wasn't effective in the playoffs. I think his first half when his ERA was under three is much more indicative of who he is and, you know, it, when in doubt, I want the National League pitcher anyway. I know that's very simple, but I, I could say maybe it's just Occam's razor. The simplest explanation is is the most accurate right. one. I, I think he's a great value right now in Yahoo. You can get him outside the top 100. I mean, he's, he's going after Garrett Cole. He's going after Cole Hamels. He's going after Rick Porcello. It's it's hard to believe Porcello's anywhere near as good as he was during his uh, young season. Even going after Jose Quintana. We don't know how long he'll be in Chicago But, I mean, he never seems to get wins because the team has poorly supported him. I know a lot of that is luck. And maybe one year he'll just win 18 or 19 games when he gets a little bit of a break. But I think you're getting a really nice place on Maeda. And and Julio Teran's another guy who, you know, he's not going to strike out 220 guys. You're going to accept 170, 175. But he's outproduced his peripherals more often than not. He had one bad season two years ago. But other than that, he's been a profit player, I think, in either three or four or four out of five seasons. The Braves finished really strongly last year. We don't know how the new park will play. Hopefully, it'll be built close to neutral for Toronto's benefit. I find him on a, a lot of my teams as my second pitcher or my third pitcher. In fact, I have Toronto and Maida on a couple of teams. And I think it's a great example of how you could build a staff. You want maybe that one ace at the front of it but I think if you're looking for guys to fill in on a budget to run around pick 96 in Yahoo leagues made outside the top 100 showing up on a lot of my teams I'm also a James and Tyon Guy again not a huge K to 9 guy so if you're in a league that caps innings or starts you have to consider that but I like the defense. I like the park. Ray Seerage is one of the more respecting pitching coaches. And look at the work he's done with some guys. I mean J. A. Happ kind of turned his career around in Pittsburgh a couple of years ago and then he turned it into a great year last year in Toronto. Not that all of that is Seerage and then who who knows, maybe none of it's Seerage. I mean, we're we're not in the locker room, it's hard to tell at times. But I've seen too many pitchers pass through Pittsburgh and actually turn the corner. In the case of Tyon, he's always been their property, but because he doesn't strike out that many guys, I love the fact that he doesn't walk anybody either, so his strikeout to walk rate is in a good place. I do trust the defense behind him. He's been on a bunch of my drafts so far.
0: I'm yeah, I'm glad you mentioned him because uh in in doing my incredible research for this podcast, I noticed he was your he's your ace on your tout team this year, right?
1: He is, and that's probably an example of I should have dropped I should have drafted another hitter. I'm sorry, another pitcher. I I think I made a mistake of going after Dustin Pedroia for it turned out to be $11 as my middle infielder when I already had a strong offense and I could have easily just downgraded to maybe a $2 or $3 middle infielder, you know, maybe a, a Yang very Solarte or somebody like that. I, I saw some really good players who went for, for cheap prices speaking to how I think the middle infield is really deep. And what I wish I had done is taken that $11 on Pedroia and maybe I could have gotten uh, an Aaron Nola or Kevin Gossman or Michael Fulmer or somebody in that range. Even if I had to kick, kick up a couple extra bucks and, and then you know cut cut the numbers somewhere else. But, yeah, I, I need tie to be good. He's on a yeah, bunch yeah. of my teams.
0: Okay, well, what I have here, uh, I put together a list of eight players who I think will probably give most owners headaches going to their drafts. Okay. Um, I'm hoping we can just kind of run through a quick you know, what, what, how have you handled them? What are you doing with them? Uh, The first is the, uh, is the often talked about Matt Harvey. What have you done with him this year? He makes me nervous. Yeah. Yeah. It it
1: seems like a lot of times he blows up. We don't really know why. He's had some physical breakdowns in the past. The guy on that staff, I mean, everybody wants Syndergaard and I get it. The guy I'm really excited about, that everybody knows about jacob de but last year he wasn't fully healthy he's been throwing bullets this spring and you know people say well what matters in the spring i do care a little bit about velocity because if somebody's bringing it on the gun at least we know ostensibly they're healthy care a little bit about walk strikeout right too uh de i think is maybe around underpriced and if you want a sleeper here robert gazellman yeah not always easy to spell i'm not even positive on pronouncing that right, but it sounds like he'll be in the rotation to begin the year. We don't know where Stephen Matz is. I think there's a lot of buying opportunities on this staff. I've been burned by Harvey before. I think, and also, he's the kind of guy he's not going to tell you anything. he get a little bit of an adversarial relationship with the media. That, that's perfectly his his choosing. And I know some of the guys, you know, the media can be kind of prickly too. So I'm not blaming Harvey for that. But I'm saying that if he encounters any kind of a problem, if there's any kind of black cloud over where his season is going, I feel like it's going to be impossible to get a straight answer on, on what the story is. So I, unless the price is really enticing, I'm just going to avoid Harvey.
0: Are you completely avoiding David Price?
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I don't. Lefty and Fenway is, is risky. And it's a shame because I really. I always thought Price. Remember when uh, Zach Grenke had his best season in L.A.? I always felt, and, and this is completely anecdotal, and, and people can laugh it off if they want, but I always thought that maybe Grenke was just better suited to be the 1A behind Kershaw. Let Kershaw be the lead dog and, and let Grenky not have quite as much attention on him. Los Angeles is a great city for a celebrity, too, because there's so many other Hollywood people around that, you know, people aren't going to stop and change their whole routine because Zach Greinke is eating dinner at a restaurant or something. I just thought it was a good fit personality-wise. And when Price, he went to Fenway, I think he tried to pitch. He's a very – thoughtful and sensitive guy. And I say that as a compliment, but I wonder if sometimes as an athlete, he can be a little bit of a detriment. Boston's a very tough media city. We saw how Carl Crawford went there and really struggled to handle the fishbowl of Boston. I thought getting Chris Sale, obviously Porcello won the Cy Young Award last year, although I don't think anybody would suggest he's better than Price. But I thought Price was really well set up to be the number two. Maybe this could be his Granky season to Kershaw a couple years ago. But it's Fenway. There's no foul territory in that park. It's such a good part for right-handed hitters you know the wall's really close it's, it's, it's not people misunderstand Fenway it's not a great place to hit a home run but it's a great place to get on base it's a great place to hit a double it's a great place to score runs and now price is hurt it's not going to start the season I again you know, there will be some leagues where the price really bottoms out everybody feels this way and at some point you have to take a shot on them but in every league I've been in I, I've yet to be tempted on price what about Yasiel Puig which version shows up this year I hate to have all these anecdotal reasons because (laughs) I I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not in the dugout. I'm not in the clubhouse. I've never spoken to Yassiel Puig, but I just wondered if he really is committed to his craft, if he really wants to be great. And yeah, I mean, you you can't argue the tools. I mean, the guy's got raw power. The guy, I I love watching him hit a ball in the gap and make it into a standup triple. He can throw you out from anywhere on the field. I mean, when he's at his best, he's a very exciting player, but I, I just haven't seen the commitment Not only from Puig, but, you know, the Giants at the Giants. The Dodgers have jerked him around a couple of times, taken away playing time, moved him in the lineup. I really wanted to see him get traded. I just thought a change of scenery for the Dodgers and Puig would have been best for everybody involved. And I'm a little bit disappointed that he's coming back. I I think maybe he'd be better off in another city. He's not on any of my teams. And, again, I have not considered him strongly.
0: Someone who's definitely intrigued me lately has been Michael Brantley. Um, He was limited early in spring training. Now he seems to be playing a lot. I was burned by him last year, but I'm always tempted by his ability. Um, have you found the same thing, or is he another avoid because that injury lingers? I am more open minded to Brantley.
1: I like the fact that he's been participating in recent spring uh, spring games and activities, and you know he's one of my favorite players because I love left handed batters who don't care about the handedness of the pitcher. That guy hits righties, he hits lefties. It could be a really good lineup. They added Encarnacion. We saw how good the lineup was last year. You know, Lindor is one of the best players in the league. It sounds like they found something with Ramirez. But Brantley could be the one guy who turns this from a decent offense to maybe a great one, maybe even the American League favorite again. We, we know they have a lot of good pitching there. I'm tempted, I'm more certainly of, of the guys you mentioned, because, of course, Price is hurt right now, and Puig's got some, got some issues. I'm more tempted with Brantley because we've seen him play at an MVP VP contender level and I love where he would slot in this lineup if he's healthy because I think the Indians really could could one to nine have a great lineup if everybody's healthy this season so I am tempted to get some Brantley shares
0: I think I know where this is going based on uh, a comment you made earlier but Rick Porcello reigning Cy Young you you buying in you know again when,
1: when we talk about when a player has a career year I mean sometimes it's a player people have always been expecting it from and the price gets sky high I expected that there'd be so many people being worried about being the sucker with Porcello that his price would be surprisingly affordable this year. And his ADP in Yahoo is actually 99. I thought it was going to be 30 or 40 picks lower. I thought people were going to be nervous. I mean, you can get him. You can get, say, Aaron Sanchez almost two rounds later. Yeah, You can get Ty on three or four rounds later. You can get John Lackey coming off a tremendous season. I know he's in his 30s, but, you know, that great Chicago defense and you live in the National League. When in doubt, I don't. Th- I don't think the. I don't think the prices come down on Porcello as much as I thought it was. It was going to after that last season. Obviously, you can't chase the wins because there's so much noise baked into that stat. It helps that he pitches for a good team and all that. But I mean, he could easily pitch just as well as he did last year and win 12 or 13 games. You know, ask Jose Quintana about that. Yeah. I-, I don't think. Rick Porcello is a top 100 player. I, I think he should be going in the 120 to 140 range. You know where, where the Strowmans, the Lackeys, the Tyons, you know even Harvey. As much as I don't want to draft him, Michael Fulmer, guys like that, I don't see why he's a clear better pitcher than those guys.
0: Uh, another maybe surprise player from last year, who like I would say like Porcello has always had kind of a high pedigree, but it had a few down seasons in there is Gene Segura. His price is now. It seems like it's pretty inflated after last season. Um, you know, are you willing to take the plunge where he's slotted in uh, in Yahoo's drafts uh, order?
1: There's a case where I, I think the I don't want to be the sucker discount is applied enough. Segura just inside the top eighty in Yahoo leagues right now. You get second base and shortstop eligibility. Obviously, Seattle is not a great place to hit, but you know he's got pop. He runs really well and. Uh, I mean, I, I hate mentioning this because it's such an awful story, but one of his bad seasons a couple of years ago was when he he had a sick child, which, which I think passed away. And I don't know how anybody could ever compete at a high level when that type of terrible thing is going on. And it just breaks my heart even to mention it. But um, I'm happy to see the comeback year from him last year. I love the fact that he can give back. Some of last year's stats, you know, not approach last year's, which probably going to stand as his career season and still make you a profit just inside the top 80. I actually think he's a good value.
0: All right. This guy is probably maybe the most confusing player in fantasy. Uh, Eric Thames. I, I have no idea what to do with him because he put up, I don't know, Babe Ruth caliber numbers in Korea. And uh, we haven't seen enough players come over from there for me to really get a good sense of what to expect. So he, it seems like he's one of the guys who could mash or who could just completely fail. Yeah, I've heard
1: differing opinions on what the equivalency is. Is is uh, that South Korean baseball is it single A? Is it double A? I it, odd fit for Milwaukee too. This is a rebuilding team. I mean, I think the best thing that could have happen would be for Thames to just hit the ground running and, and maybe trade them, but. I tend to be more on the skeptical side. I, think, I don't think there's much of a floor here. I think he's got a wide range of outcomes, and even though he's not that expensive in Yahoo leagues, I just don't know how to calibrate the quality of play. He was you know, over here and didn't do anything special. I'm more skeptical than a believer on Tames, but I think you really hit the nail on the head that he's maybe the most difficult player to evaluate this season.
0: And then this is the last guy I have, and uh, he comes straight from your tout team. It's Sandy Leone from Boston who went on a ridiculous tear last season. Um, is, is he a guy you kind of secretly like or is he just the, the right price for you? Well, I did spend, uh, remember, Tower Wars
1: is a two-catcher league, so you, right. you kind of have to have a different approach. I spent uh, 21 or $22 on Jonathan Croy, which meant that it just wasn't going to be practical for me to spend a lot of money on a catcher. Leon, I'm just hoping Leon plays and hits maybe 260 265 Obviously, last year, 310 average, he had a ridiculous BABIP that is not sustainable, but... You know, 23 walks against 66 strikeouts and 252 at-bats. That shows the reasonable graphs of the strike zone. And any spot in this Boston lineup is going to be favorable. I I think it's easily the the offense in the American League that I would most likely want to bank on. I mean, they, they lose Ortiz, but, yeah, I think Ben will be good. Maybe not great right away. but will certainly be good. They have Betts. They, they have Bradley. They have Xander Bogarts. They have impact players all through this lineup, and they even have a really good farm system if needed. So, uh, Leon's probably going to be hitting ninth, and we know they actually have other good catchers there too. If if he right. doesn't pan out, but I think he's good enough on defense and heady enough at the plate. That he can maybe not hurt me. I mean, he did hit seven home runs in half a season, too. So if you felt like prorating that, you're looking at double digit home runs. I'm just asking him to hit around 260, 265, maybe nine or 10 home runs. I- I'd be happy with that. I think he's a case where most people looked and said, hey, Three ten hitter, uh, you know, Babbitt bought it out of whack. I mean, this guy showed no offensive pedigree beforehand in the majors. He didn't hit in the minors, so I understand being skeptical about Leon. I got him for a buck. He's a second catcher in a league where we're going to start thirty overall. I actually like him for that price in standard Yahoo leagues where you're only playing one catcher. I'd probably just leave him on the waiver wire.
0: All right, and then this is the last thing I've got for you in uh, in a standard maybe ten or twelve or fourteen team league um who are maybe some guys you're taking with a with a last round flyer some guys who might just be a lottery ticket or who uh who you're willing to take a shot on if they don't pan out in a month you're you're willing to cut
1: well well, one player i think people should spend a little bit of money on and he's not quite in that category but you get jose peraza around pick 180 in yahoo leagues and i think he's going to be a tremendous value another reason why we don't want to go for speed but uh, a player whose adp i thought would rise up and it hasn't happened yet is david peralta currently picked 245 in the average yahoo league probably gonna hit somewhere in the middle of a pretty good arizona lineup he'll be near goldschmidt he'll be near aj pollock we know that's the second best park after coors field to hit in the national league i'm not sure arizona is going to be any good because i don't like their pitching but i think they could score a lot of runs and peralta was a heck of a fantasy asset two years ago you're getting him 22nd 23rd round I, I think that's an absolute steal and if you need to take a flyer in a deeper league for for steals I, I don't know if I mentioned him earlier but Delano DeShields this spring 14 walks 12 for 12 on stolen bases we don't know who Texas's left fielder is going to be they don't really have a position for profile yet there are other guys in the mix but if they need to play De Shields. remember, his, his father was a, was a great uh, stolen base asset. His father should be known for something other than being traded for Pedro Martinez. <laughs> really, really good hitter and could really run. I think the cheapest 30 to 40 stolen base you know, potential on the board. And again, you, you talk about, you know, if it doesn't pan out, you just drop him a week or two into the season. Delano De Shields is currently unowned at about 98 or maybe even 99 percent of Yahoo leagues. I would pick him up and just see what they do with him for the first week or two.
0: Well, Scott, I, I feel as though you've, uh, you've gone above and beyond your, your fulfillment here. We've, we've successfully helped the people, uh, uh, the listeners of the StuPod draft their fantasy teams, or maybe if they already have drafted, we've, we've given them something to think about. So uh, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate uh, you doing this, and I'm, I'm glad we've been able to do this. I think this is the third year we've done it now, so I'm glad that this is like a, a new tradition we have. Uh, my
1: pleasure um
0: you know a couple of years ago i told people
1: aj pollock uh last year i gave people will myers and kyle and kyle hendricks i'm just cherry picking things i was right on Just god <laughs> knows i was wrong about a bunch of things i didn't pick the cups to win the world series too with about five thousand other people but uh, i appreciate talking to you you guys do such a great job big leagues do you and mike and all the other base guys uh, liz is terrific so um you know um We talk regular baseball at Roto Arcade. I know you guys talk fantasy at big leagues too, so there's a lot of cross-pollination there. And, uh, you know, let's
0: keep talking all season. Sounds good to me. Uh, Obviously, you know, Scott, you just said you can can read his stuff on Roto Arcade, and I'm sure anyone listening to this is very familiar with Yahoo and Yahoo Fantasy and probably plays in multiple leagues. So uh, if you're doing that, keep doing that. If you're not doing that, I don't know what you're waiting for because it's good stuff. Uh, Again, Scott... Thanks for being here, um, and, you know, both of us, I think, are, are really looking forward to the fantasy season, as I'm sure all the listeners are. Uh, so that will do it for this episode, the special fantasy episode of The Stew Pod. Uh, I'm Chris Swick. We appreciate you being here, and we will see you guys soon.